thanks to our 2022 listeners in more than 160 countries. Please help us reach more worldwide listeners next year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thank you for supporting the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. First Amendment rights are especially important when they are under pressure, when we are tempted to compromise those rights because of a crisis or an emergency. That's precisely when we need to double down and say, no, whenever we give up these rights, historically, bad things happen. Bottom line is the world always does the world in a much more compelling fashion than the church does. People should study the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and how it saved its seminary in the early 70s in a conflict that's called Seminex, because it might be one of the real examples of saving an institution that was going in the other direction. It was Luther's letter to the Christians of Frankfurt. They weren't quite certain about their pastor. He said, look, just ask him, what's in your hand? What are you putting in my mouth? And if he can't say the body of Christ, run. Don't stay there. Leave. Nonagenarians in Northern Virginia love listening to issues, etc., while lounging in their Lazy Boys. Okay, Google, play Lutheran Talk Radio. Streaming Lutheran Talk Radio from TuneIn. A very interesting story in the New York Times recently. Archaeologists devise a better clock for biblical times, a new approach to studying the history of Old Testament conflicts courtesy of Earth's magnetic record. Well, it's always going to be a friend to Christianity whenever archaeology, biblical archaeology, is able to do its job better, able to refine its findings. So... Does this new dating method overturn anything that we thought about the biblical chronology? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Dr. David Adams of Concordia Seminary joins us to talk about this New York Times story on a new way of dating Old Testament dates. Pastor David Peterson will be alongside for part three of our series on marriage enrichment. And then we're going to spend some time with Dr. Adam Francisco of Concordia University, Chicago, discussing a piece from the conversation titled, Why Early Christians Wouldn't Have Found the Christmas Story's Virgin Birth So Surprising, answering the question, did Christians borrow the virgin birth story from other ancient religions? Dr. David Adams is professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, formerly served as director of the Concordia Center for Archaeology. Dr. Adams, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be with you as always, Todd. What are some of the regular difficulties in dating Old Testament events? Well, for one thing, the church hasn't always been interested in chronology and the dating of biblical events. You know, for most of the history of the church, people interpreted the text allegorically, and so dates of things didn't matter because all they were interested in was the symbolic meaning of things. So it wasn't really until after the Reformation that there were any serious attempts to date anything with regard to the Bible. And what developed over the intervening centuries is an approach that involves combining two types of data, 
internal data, that is to say data from the Bible itself, what the Bible says, and external data, data from external sources, whether that's carbon-14 or what we're going to be talking about in a minute, for example. And there are two problems that arise. Using internal data by itself it provides a great deal of biblical consistency, of course, but it also requires a lot of presuppositions and guesswork because the biblical record is not constant. That is to say, there are gaps in it and there are overlaps, and how you handle those gaps and overlaps affect how you calculate a date. And so there's a little bit of a problem just attempting to construct a chronology based on internal data alone. The other problem is that it's difficult to make connections between the biblical material and what is going on in cultures and societies around the Bible, which also left historical records. And unfortunately, the Bible isn't generally all that concerned with documenting the history of the ancient Near East, and so we have very sparse data in the Bible as it relates to what's going on in other countries. So that makes the challenge of mixing these two kinds of data, whether it's written data from external sources or whether it's, shall we call it, technological or scientific data from other sources, makes all of that a challenge. So our basic problems are, how do we reconcile internal and external data? Part of that arises from an oversimplified reading of the biblical text. Probably a, the best example of this is the conquest. People assume when they read Joshua that the Israelites just went into the promised land and destroyed a whole bunch of cities. But a very careful reading of Joshua suggests that's not the case, that they were really focused on just a couple of places that presented a threat to them. And so sometimes the assumptions we make when we read biblical text create problems for us. Another problem that arises is that the external data from ancient Near Eastern written sources is itself not without problems. There are mistakes in it, there are exaggerations in it, there are errors in the chronology from Egypt and Mesopotamia that complicate matters. And then how we go about filling in the gaps is also another place where presuppositions and guesswork come into the equation, all of that makes it a challenge to do what you would think would be pretty easy, which is just to read the Bible, read the external sources, take the scientific data, and put it all together. But because none of this information is complete, and most of it doesn't make an attempt to make direct connections to the rest of it, you know, all of that creates these kind of problems that we were talking about. So how is dating usually done in archaeology? Well, as I said, it's it comes down to relating the internal evidence of the scriptures with external data, data that we get from other sources. Uh, the, it used to be the case that people attempted to create a biblical chronology just based on the internal data of the Bible. The most famous of these is the Lightfoot Usher chronology that was done in the 1640s. 
that was reprinted in King James Bibles for the next several hundred years. That's the chronology that dates creation at 4004 BC and so forth. But as I said, there are problems with creating a chronology based on internal data because there are co-regencies in the records of the kings of Israel. There are gaps where we don't have information. And where we have genealogical information, some of that genealogical information is there not to provide us with a chronology, but to simply fast forward the narrative from one event to another. And so we sometimes have a difficulty of knowing exactly how to read that genealogical information the way it was intended. Then the next major development happened when they discovered Egyptian text that made it clear that the Egyptians used two different calendars, a, a lunar calendar for religious and probably agricultural events and a solar calendar for civil events. And because these calendars didn't take into account leap years, they gradually fell out of sync. So the, the civil solar calendar stayed the same, but the lunar calendar would wander. And so after 730 years, for example, the winter season in the lunar calendar actually occurred in the summer in the solar calendar. And after another 730 years, they would be back in phase again. Now, in the early 20th century, scholars went through all the Egyptian records very carefully and tried to find the places where the Egyptian, two Egyptian calendars lined up where New Year's Day was on the correct day in both calendars. And they were able to do that. And because these only line up every 1,460 years, you know, there aren't that many options. And then they were able to relate that date to the Egyptian chronological information. And that provided the basic external framework for dating biblical material. And that was the dominant thing that was used for the first half of the 20th century. The next development was what we call pottery typology. That is to say, as archaeologists worked, they recognized that in different societies created different kinds of pottery in different times. Think of it like cars. My father was great at identifying older cars. He could tell a 57 Chevy from a 62 Ford Mustang by looking at the bumper just as a separate part, because they were designed differently. Pottery worked the same way in the ancient world. Styles changed, techniques for manufacturing it and decorating it changed, and for most of the 20th century, there was a huge effort to try to create a roadmap of the changes of pottery, so that when you went to a site and you dug out pottery, you could then go to a, a book and find out what date was associated with that pottery. And so it's a very complex approach that's been developed over a hundred or so years. The final piece of the puzzle would be using natural phenomena. And that would include things like carbon-14 dating and the kind of archaeomagnetism dating that we'll be mentioning from the New York Times article. What are the shortcomings of carbon-14 dating? The biggest shortcoming of carbon-14 dating is that unlike the original assumption associated with carbon-14 dating, we now know that carbon is not absorbed by 
organic material in the same rate all the time. That is to say, at different times, different years, different decades, different centuries, carbon will be accumulated in organic material at a higher rate or slower rate. And that variance in accumulation can make it very difficult to map out how carbon-14 absorption or dissipation, I actually should say, happens because you don't know how much was there originally. The original assumption behind carbon-14 dating was that carbon-14 was a constant. Everybody now knows that's not true. Uh, it's not something that's debated anymore. And in some years, it's much more difficult than others, some decades, some centuries. And we don't always know because it's related to things like sunspot activity and other natural phenomena that we can't necessarily go back and examine. We have to work by trying to relate carbon-14 results to known dates in the ancient world and therefore kind of construct a map of the variance of carbon-14. That's the biggest problem with it. There are other problems like making sure you have enough of the material and that the material is not corrupted by coming in contact with water or human skin or some other things like that. So the unknowns of the uh, state of the material are a problem too. But the biggest problem is the lack of consistency in carbon-14 deposits. The New York Times story says that the period of 400 to 800 BC is particularly difficult. Why is that? Well, the biggest reason is what we just mentioned. In these 400 years, roughly, there is a big variance in the carbon-14 deposit. And it's so big that many scientists believe that it's unusable. That's not the only problem, but it is the biggest problem. Other problems include the fact that there was a lot of things happening in those centuries, but they weren't all recorded. And so, for example, if we read in a text, either in the Bible or outside the Bible, of the destruction of a city, and then we look at the archaeological record and we can find a destruction layer at that city, the natural thing would be to assume that the destruction that we find in the archaeological record fits what's mentioned in the historical record. But in fact, there may have been two or three destructions of the city, 50, 100 years apart, but only one of them is mentioned in the historical record. So the fact that there were a lot of things happening, but they aren't all recorded in the historical record, either in the Bible or in non-biblical material, all of that complicates this issue as well. So we have incomplete historical sources. We have conflicting historical sources even from the ancient world, not to mention conflicts between extra-biblical material and biblical material. We have a lot happening, but it's not all recorded. And then when you add to that the problems of carbon-14 dating that make it even more difficult to date things in this period between roughly 400 and roughly 800 B.C. Dr. David Adams is our guest. He's professor of Old Testament Concordia Seminary and formerly served as director of the Concordia Center for Archaeology. We're talking about a New York Times story titled Archaeologists Divide a Better Clock for Biblical Times, and we'll find out what that clock is next.
this week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with the centurion's servant, the widow of Nain, John's question, none greater, and the sinful woman, part one. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. What does anthropology or the science of mankind, the study of mankind, have to do with Christmas? Well, it has everything to do with Christmas. As the December issue of The Lutheran Witness points out, to understand what man is and what it means to be man, we don't look to other men, but to Jesus Christ, the man. To subscribe to The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Education and edification. You're listening to Issues Etc. Greetings in Christ, and thank you for listening to Issues Etc. If your vocation or travel lands you in northwest Louisiana, come and be our guest at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Bowser City, Louisiana. Join us as we gather around God's gift of word and sacrament. That's Emmanuel Lutheran Church, Bowser City, Louisiana. For service times and directions, look us up at ilcbosier.net, ilcbosier.net. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash LutherAcademy. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about a New York Times story titled, Archaeologists Advise a Better Clock for Biblical Times. Dr. David Adams is our guest. So, Dr. Adams, tell us about this new method of dating using magnetism. Okay. This is called archaeomagnetic dating. Sometimes it's called paleomagnetic dating as well. Basically, it's dating things by magnetism. And I don't want to get too technical here, in part because I'm not an expert in this, and in part because technical is kind of boring, right? But everybody knows that we have a geographic North Pole and a magnetic North Pole, and they aren't the same. Most people don't know that both of those poles actually move. The geographic North Pole, the axis that the planet revolves around, wobbles and moves because the planet wobbles as it rotates, but it doesn't move all that much. The magnetic North Pole moves quite a bit more. Right now, it's moving about 35 miles a year these days. And it's moving from basically northeastern Canada to across the Arctic toward Siberia in Russia. But its movement is not constant. And it also is not always in a straight line. It will change directions and move around. So that's important because where we have ancient material with substances, dirt or whatever, that has iron particles in it, If those iron particles are heated past what scientists call the Curie point, 
which for iron is 1,418 degrees, by the way, what happens is the iron particles lose their connection, if you will, to the magnetic North Pole. And then when it cools, they realign again. So when you look at that material, when you analyze it, and you have to take this into a lab and use a lot of very technical equipment, but when you analyze it, you can find where those iron particles are aligned. And if you know where the magnetic North Pole was, then you can use the alignment of the magnetic particles in the material to help date the material in relation to the movement of the magnetic North Pole. Now, the problem is you have to have a map that will show you where the magnetic North Pole was in any given year. And constructing that map means that you have to have a lot of sites whose dates are already known to you so that you can use the, what you have from those sites to create a map of the movement of the magnetic North Pole so that when you go to another site and look at the material there, you can compare it to the map that you've already developed based on dates that you already know. Now, I don't know if that made any sense to you or not, but it's a reliable technique as long as you have the data that you need to know where the magnetic North Pole is. By the way, this technique is not actually new. It's new in biblical archaeology, but it was actually first suggested back in the 1930s, and it began to be used in other archaeological fields in the 1980s, I think. And by the 1990s, there were a number of books already talking about it. What is new is the application of this technique to biblical archaeology. And that involves the creation of a database with enough information in it about the alignment of particles from various sites in various periods to help construct the map so we know where the magnetic North Pole was in relation to Israel. And then we can use that information to evaluate new sites. Why are the sites of the Old Testament battles really important anchor points for dating events of the Old Testament? Well, uh, I think there are really two things here. Uh, one is we have external references to some of the battles. So we know, for example, that the Egyptian pharaoh Shishak I invaded Israel about 925 BC, and he destroyed a bunch of cities. And he tells us in his record which cities he destroyed. And the Bible mentions the invasion, but doesn't give us a lot of detail. So battles are important because they provide points at which we can sometimes connect the biblical record with the extra biblical record. And that's true for Egypt, it's true for Aram, it's true for Babylon, Assyria, and so forth, because we have external references. So we know, for example, that in 853, there was a big battle at Karkur in Syria, at which an Israelite from the northern kingdom participated. And we know what year that was. That helps us to date events from that part of the Bible in relation to that battle. And that's a, actually a battle that's not even mentioned in the Bible, but because we know when it took place, we can use that information. The other thing about sites of battles is when cities are destroyed, 
that actually preserves data. So it creates carbon-14 datable material, and it also creates archaeomagnetic datable material. To give you an example from an excavation that I was involved in, in Israel, when the city was abandoned, and there's still debate about whether it was destroyed or just abandoned, but in any case, they left behind olive pits on the floor of one of the houses. So we collected the olive pits, and we did carbon-14 dating of them, and that helped to establish the date of that site. We had eight olive pits, sent them off to Oxford University. They processed them and gave us a date plus or minus 25 years for the site. Now, you get a lot of that kind of data when sites are destroyed. And so battles, because they destroy sites, actually create datable material. And for archaeomagnetic dating, like we're talking about in this New York Times article, the fact that cities are burned creates a very hot environment in which I said earlier that the iron particles have to reach 1,418 degrees before the process that creates this datable material is created. So, you know, you can't just go out and get a hunk of dirt and stick it in your oven and bake it and expect to be able to date it archaeomagnetically. It has to get pretty hot, 1,418 degrees at least. So when cities are burned, big fires happen and really hot fires happen. So at Hatzor in the north of Israel, for example, you can go there and look at the Canaanite palace that was there, which was made of mud brick. When it was burned, so much heat was generated that the mud brick actually liquefied. It melted the dirt, as it were. And so that's a great resource for doing this kind of archaeomagnetic dating. So battles matter because of external references and because the destruction of cities creates archaeologically datable material. What are the significant anchoring dates in biblical archaeology? That's a difficult question because if we're talking about internal data, things that are mentioned in the Bible itself, the central and by far most important date is the date of the building of the temple. Now, the date of the building of the temple matters because several other places in the Bible relate events to the age of the temple. So we learn, for example, that the Exodus took place 500 years before the temple was built. So when was the temple built? Well, there's a little bit of a problem there because dates that you see will vary. The most common date is probably 957, but you see some dates as early as 967, some as late as 947. But if we go with 957 as the most likely date, we can date other biblical events internally in relation to the building of the temple. We can do that with Solomon's reign, with David's reign, working back to Saul's reign, and then, of course, moving forward. The other major event was then the destruction of the temple in 586. Some people think 587, but that's not so much of a problem. You know, that creates another anchor point date that can be used. In fact, for this technique that we're talking about, archaeomagnetic dating. A couple of years ago in 2020, one of the things that this team did was 
look at material from the destruction of the temple because we know the date. The ninth of Av, I think 586 is the right year, but the ninth of Av, which is basically somewhere in the first half of August, depending on how the lunar calendar works its way out at any given year. But the point is, we know when that date was. And so what they did was analyze the material, archaeomagnetic material, from the destruction of the temple, and that gave them a fixed point that they could use to map the location of the movement of the magnetic North Pole in that year. So that was an important date for archaeomagnetic dating. It's also an important date for internal dating. So those would be the two biggest dates that are helpful within the Bible for dating things. Of course, once we get to the New Testament, we have debates about the date, the year of the birth of Jesus. That's an ongoing debate, but most people are fairly happy with somewhere between 4 BC and 6 BC. We have external material that can tell us when Herod was king and when Pilate was active, what years he was consul in Judea. All of that helps to provide dates for New Testament. And then, of course, the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD is another touchstone date for New Testament archaeological dating as well. And then when we get to Paul's letters, we have some external material there that we can use as well. But all of those dates are important for the various events that they relate to in the Bible. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're discussing a New York Times story titled Archaeologists Devise a Better Clock for Biblical Times. Dr. David Adams of Concordia Seminary is our guest. LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for Lutheran Church Missouri Synod pastors to serve as military chaplains on active duty in the reserves, the National Guard, and Civil Air Patrol. Visit lcms.org slash armed forces to find out more about military chaplaincy. Serving those who serve LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. Has the new dating method overturned or supported previous date setting? Thanks to our 2022 listeners in more than 160 countries. Please help us reach more worldwide listeners next year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thank you for supporting the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth.
You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at melhs.org, jkrause at melhs.org. We're discussing a New York Times story titled Archaeologists Devise a Better Clock for Biblical Times with Dr. David Adams, professor of Old Testament Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and formerly served as director of the Concordia Center for Archaeology. Dr. Adams, has this new dating method overturned previous date setting or has it supported it? Well, it certainly hasn't overturned it. What it will probably do in the long run, and by the way, I don't want people to get overly crazed about this. To make this usable on a regular basis is still going to require decades of work in order to create an accurate map of the movement of the magnetic field. And not only that, but one of the things I haven't mentioned is that you also have to have a map of the local area, the magnetic field of the local area, because the magnetic field of the Earth is not a constant everywhere. Most people, again, don't realize that some places have a stronger magnetic slash gravitational pull than other places do. And most people are aware that if you've got a compass and you're standing near something that is metal, the compass might not accurately point to magnetic north because it can be influenced by the metal that you're standing next to. And the same thing happens with archaeomagnetic sites. If you have a site, you need to know if there's a significant iron deposit nearby that might throw off the magnetic alignment of the particles. So you have to construct what's called a, an SVC, a secular variation curve. That's the local map for the variance in the magnetic field. And then you have to construct the map for the movement of the magnetic pole. So this doesn't solve all of the problems of dating biblical material archaeologically by any means. It's going to be decades as we continue to compile information and build up the maps that we need in order to be able to apply this consistently to new sites. So for the next few decades, at least, this will certainly be complementary to the techniques we already use, particularly carbon-14 and pottery typology are the two that are most often used. Less often used are things like dendrochronology, where you can date things by looking at tree rings. Obviously, you have to be looking at wood to do that, and that's a little 
less common in Israel than in other places of the world. So it's a complementary method. While it's been around for nearly a century in theory, it's only now being applied to the biblical world. And a lot of work has to be done before we have the maps and background data and build up the databases that are full enough that we can have a high degree of confidence in the results. But what the New York Times reported was kind of the first step in that process. So it's something to keep your eyes on. It won't replace other date setting methods, but it will complement them. And, you know, it's kind of an exciting development. How would you rate the track record of biblical archaeology in support of the biblical accounts? Generally, archaeology has mostly supported the biblical record. There's no place where archaeology has ever proved the Bible to be wrong. What has happened sometimes is that we've had to think about the way we read the Bible and recognize that we've sometimes made some simplistic assumptions related to the conquest, for example, that if we go back and read the Bible more carefully, we can see where we made the mistakes in our assumptions when we read the Bible in a simplistic way. So archaeology has never proven the Bible wrong. The biggest problem is that archaeology doesn't prove anything. What archaeology does is provide data, and that data has to be interpreted within an interpretive framework. And so if you begin with an interpretive framework that assumes the Bible to be non-historical, then you will interpret the data in a way that reinforces your presupposition. On the other hand, if you assume the Bible is historically correct, then you couldn't take the same data and interpret it differently. So the biggest mistake that people make when talking about archaeology and dating things in the Bible is the assumption that the things produced by archaeology by themselves prove the Bible either true or false. Neither of those is true. What archaeology does is provide data that helps us to read the Bible more accurately and more carefully and understand its history better. So in that sense, the track record of archaeology in support of the biblical record is really very good. There are a lot of places where archaeology just doesn't provide any data that's helpful to us, but then we don't have data from outside the Bible to help us elsewhere either. So we still have gaps, even with archaeological material. Dr. David Adams is professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and he formerly served as director of the Concordia Center of Archaeology. Dr. Adams, thank you very much for your time. Great to be with you as always, Todd. We will continue our series on marriage enrichment with part three. Pastor David Peterson of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy, will be our guest. We'll talk about what he calls remonstrance. Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December 
Archbooks Treasury, Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. It's the days before Christmas and the list is so long of whom to buy what for, so I'll help you along. Ad Crucem has gifts for all budgets and tastes. Our service is quick for shoppers in haste. Pop over to the website adcrucem.com for gifts focused on Christ where it's always belonged. Reminders of his work for saints in this world and his promises eternal yet to be fulfilled. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858.